0: The car you drive every day should be fun.
1: But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries.
0: You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this
1: is the Everyday Driver Car Daily.
0: Welcome back. It's been a while. Yes. I am officially back from vacation. And everybody knows that you've been on vacation, yes, by the way. Yes. I was out for a week. I did two interesting things I haven't done before. Actually, one specifically. This is the most disconnected I've been in a long time. And here's I'm what I'm glad I did. to hear. By I the grabbed way. my phone and I went to that section. You know, we all have folders on our phone. I we went to that section where all the apps <laughs> are that I keep track of the show. Okay. So right, the Twitter and right. the Facebook and the Instagram and the blah. Right. I am have such kind of muscle memory for for touching those and just checking in on everything of the show right, right. I erased all the apps you did I erased them all off my phone before I left because You're I just kidding thought me I want to at least have that stop check moment of I have to now do work to find those things I'm glad to and hear that this. helped me just be very disconnected. however, I'm, I'm now back and having that weird <laughs> vacation experience post vacation experience okay, and that is. Everyone goes. Well, well, well. How was your vacation? Uh, tell, tell me, tell me about your vacation. We have in our mind set up this kind of ah oh, moment from heaven when you hear about somebody's vacation. You've got to come back with something awesome.
1: Right. I did the thing. I climbed this. I I drove that. I saw this. And yet
0: somehow, you know, I made more money and I got more attractive and I'm unbelievably rested. And I sat by the beach with a daiquiri and the whole it's got to be this unbelievable. I can't believe you had that much of a great vacation. Right. Right. I was on vacation with my wife, which is awesome. Yeah. My seven year old son at my parents house. Not as awesome. This quickly becomes <laughs> not the vacation we imagined, and more like a vacation movie they haven't met yet. I mean, that made yet. I mean, honestly, it's kind of became what it was like. So You've written the script in your head almost, already, haven't almost. you? And and, and there is it. this other weird thing about taking your child to your parents' house. And this was for the first time, too. Well, he hadn't been he they they live they live near Yosemite Valley and he hadn't been to their house yet. And so we went uh, I mean, they visited us a million times. Right. But this is the right. time we went there, because he's gotten big enough. We can go to Yosemite. We can have some fun, that kind of thing. But anyway, but but the thing about it is, you have the, at least I think all adult kids do this. You're at your parents' house. You're an adult. You're yeah. at your parents' house. Yeah. Everybody has a different tolerance. For me, it's about thirty six, forty eight hours, where I go. Yep, that's why I moved out. This, <laughs> these are all guys, these you. are all the reasons why I love you, <laughs> and yet I do not live here.
1: Right. But you're having
0: that. While you're also experiencing having to parent you're also having to parent you also have to be a parent to someone else right so you're feeling okay. the kind of weird it's it's this weird clash of generations because you're having to be a parent while you're feeling like stop parenting me all at the same time <laughs> so that's going on but the 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 car news here all right you have car news a kind of the the loaner car while we were there, which was great because we didn't have to rent something. But my my dad loaned us his Chevy Avalanche. I was going to say, yeah, you didn't rent something. No, you, no, no. He loaned us his Chevy Avalanche. My dad's car, yeah. So it's an 09 Chevy Avalanche, which I've driven some. But I drove it a lot on this trip because we did a lot of California. We, we went to my parents' house. But we also drove all over the place. Big suburban and yet not. The ride's amazing. Big Chevy V8 in there. The drivetrain's fantastic. I, you know, we used to have, my wife and I used to have a Comfortable. UConn. Absolutely. My wife and I used to have a Yukon. It felt very familiar. Yeah, yep. My my father does not drive quickly. We know this. I'm pretty sure. We know this. The last week is the fastest that car's ever gone and may ever go again. <laughs> You're serious? Oh, I, 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 oh I blew gosh. out whatever the engine, the engine was no longer resting. Dust and cobwebs, cobwebs out of Cobwebs are that gone thing. now. Yeah, sure. Awesome. And I also realized this thing. Um, people are not ready for folks like you and me with our speed tolerance to drive a vehicle that size. They're just not ready. They're, they're not ready for that, for that they're reality. They're not ready for that thing coming up in their rear view. Exactly. And, and not because I'm trying to hunt people down. It's just this is my speed this tolerance. This is now your level of you know? normal. And, I the, agree. and the other thing that struck me in that regard is if I come up behind somebody in my FRS, nobody gets out of the way. I may be driving an orange teenager's car that suddenly appeared in their rearview mirror, but I'm going to have to go around whoever that is. The exact same action in the avalanche. People are moving. <laughs> Blinkers Big are on, they're clear in the way. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, awesome. So it was crazy. So I had lots of weird experiences. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I wasn't overly tailgating people. I say overly because I didn't realize wow. our tolerance is different. Yes, but yes. But I mean, I saw plenty of the California tailgate, which is it's 80 miles an hour, and I'm one car length off your bumper. I don't do that. I don't <laughs> do that.
1: You're NASCAR.
0: Yeah, it's Drafting right off people's you know, bumpers. I'm, I'm some car lengths back. Yeah, yeah. But it was hysterical to be closing in. I haven't gotten to a place yet where I feel like I even have to slow down yet because I'm not even that close to the car. And they would just see this black object coming and move. And I just kept thinking, if I was in my car, you'd still be sitting there. <laughs> right, right. So anyway, so that was crazy to drive something big again and, and to love the drivetrain and to hate the weight. And the and my dad's rotors need to be replaced because they're warped. He uh, didn't know this because he hasn't ever used the brakes hard enough to feel it. Right, because it's such a light touch. Exactly, exactly <laughs> yeah, right. Awesome. Well, welcome back.
1: Chance and I debated cars for you. You did. I know by this time mm-hmm. you've listened to the podcast. I have. Everybody had many suggestions, yes. of course. It was more along the lines of what color your next
0: Elise should be or the Elise <laughs> the that Elise you're getting. Be... Well. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I have to applaud you guys because I listened and thought it was a great podcast, but I also thought you did a really good job of picking things that I really would like. I did think that Chance's Mustang lower than the 350 suggestion that stretched me a bit. I was like, hmm, "That was a stretch okay, for you too." Okay. I, I felt like that. Too. But I will say that you win because All the one right. M is actually the top of my list. I just can't afford it. If, if I could, if yeah. I could get into a one M, and there are ten to fifteen more than I can really spend. But if I could get into a one M, it would really be game over. That's the car I actually want the most. Yeah, I'd I, love an I Evora. Can see that. I'd love an Elise. But if I could get into a one M, done it, and, and that'd be the kind of car I think I'd buy and keep for a while. Yeah. Yeah, but I just, I just know of, your soft spot for yeah, that thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun to bring that up and talk everything about it. And, uh, did you notice in the email inbox a lot of people
0: sent links to 1Ms that are for sale and they're still expensive? I know. I, well, there was one guy that sent one that was 40 grand. And that's, that's like, that was like, it's like sniffing distance. It's like 66,000 miles. It's like, it wait, 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 40 grand. Wait, 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 wait. I thought they were yeah. all 45 to 50. 40 grand was like, <laughs> Do I have extra? Should I? St- it's that the terrible thing we do to all of our listeners where here's your budget and let's blow it out by five or 10 grand? Exactly. That was the thing. Look They're at this doing one it to going, us now. oh no, that's yeah. bad. Yeah. And it was orange too, of course. <laughs> terrible. Of course. I want to talk about Auto Tempest. They're our new sponsor on the show yeah. because they provide that service you and I do. We're right. always looking up cars online. You can go to autotempest.com and you can type in your search term once and it searches all the big names and some of the little ones. So you go there, Auto Tempest, that is T-E-M-P-E-S-T, like a storm, autotempest.com. And if you aren't looking for a car right now, you can do it for fun, or you can do it and then give them feedback on how the website works. They want that as well, which is really cool.
1: Well, welcome back to the podcast, guys. Thank you for joining. As you can see, Todd is back. We are back in action here. We've got a lot to cover, a lot of fun stuff. We're going to hear from
0: Todd. He's got at least one story from vacation. I think, well, it was it was the truck story. Okay, it, it so was just it was, the truck. All it right, was bombing up behind people in the truck. However, I do have an additional one on that subject. We can get back to it. It's okay, fine.
1: all right. Well, we'll get there. Well, we've got a debate from a couple of fellas here. We've got Hal. Hal, I'm not sure exactly where you live, but he's had extensive car ownership experience. Mm-hmm. And he's written us a very very nice letter and included thumbnail photos of each of the cars he's owned he has, over the years. He's in.
0: I was digging here. Because it, it's near the end of the email. He's in. He's in North Carolina. Okay, he drives right. around on the mountains. But but you had to dig for it. It's not. It's not straight up front. Look forward to talking about that because Hal is a tall guy. He describes himself as having the Todd Torso Syndrome. I didn't know I had a syndrome. Yes, it is a syndrome. But apparently, it's, it's a knuckle
1: dragging exactly. tall torso, We're little stumpy, tiny little, little legs. tiny stumpy
0: legs. Thanks for that. Yeah.
1: We've also got Patrick who has written, I think, the shortest car debate sentence ever. It's one sentence It long, is one sentence, yeah. And barely a sentence at that, mm-hmm. he has reached out to us and asked, what car would you guys buy for $10,000 or less mm-hmm. that would reach 130 miles an hour in one mile? I've never equated speed with inexpense, you know, like mm-hmm. a, a mm-hmm. less expensive car yeah. or an older you know, less expensive car with a lot of speed. It just doesn't occur. Yeah. So I'm excited to bait that. Yep. But anyway, we've he's got of... He's looking cover.
0: for a Salt Flats bang around car and he just wants to And that's for the Bonneville yeah. uh, 130
1: mile an hour club that he wants to join with 10,000 or less for that's, cheap speed.
0: That's uh, it's I all actually, about cheap speed. I was surprised you put that one in because I thought, uh, this is going to take me a little bit because that's that's a hard one. It but is. It's exciting. I thought for the you know the long emails versus the medium emails yeah, that we great. get. It's really and great. now the shortest mm-hmm. sentence ever could actually generate a long discussion. (laughs) You're right. And tons and tons of great questions. Thank you guys for writing in Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You questions on all of them, and they're very good. So I've noted quite a few of those. I don't know how many we'll get to, but, man, there are many.
1: Yeah, they're great. Well, uh, anything else from your vacation before we dive right into a few debates here?
0: Well, there was the moment when we got a passing lane. A passing lane? And the only guy in front of me was a Corvette C7. okay. So you would think, he'd, we're going to get some passing done. He'd put it down. You'd, I mean, right? he'd, he'd been waiting in the same line of traffic I'd been in. Put it down. And he proceeded to slowly drive his C7 two miles an hour faster than <sighs> everybody else, which I, this was actually the only – because this was late in my driving of the avalanche. This This is actually the only time in the trip that I will fully admit I went, all right, I'm going to pressure you. Because I'm huge. Because, and I realized come on, now you're that in a pe- Corvette. Exactly. Come on. Exactly. You can see me in your rearview mirror, flex your right big toe, and be gone. Yeah. Just, yeah. And so then he got over, and I passed him in a black Chevy Avalanche, only to realize as I was passing, oh, you rented that car. That's the problem. That's why. You're in a rental C7. Oh, that's why. Anyway, but
1: yeah. Well, we've both been traveling, as a matter of fact. I just had a quick trip to Los Angeles and realized how many people live there. I don't think that really <laughs> occurred to me when I did live there. <laughs> when
0: we lived there, it didn't seem like there were that many. Just, Apparently, I had a lovely Nissan Sentra with did a CVT, wow.
1: and I figured out how to drive quickly away from a stoplight, like get the jump on people. Okay. It's the same way you drive a Prius. Oh, Your foot is flat to the floor. Your your right foot is flat, <laughs> and you modulate your speed with the brake. Sure, yeah. And that CVT whines and groans oh, it and would, makes it, noises at yes, you. Yes, it
0: will be broken shortly.
1: <laughs> That's the goal here. Yeah. And then as soon as I just sidestep the brake, I'm gone. It just puts the power down. People are like, a base Nissan Sentra just decimated me at the stoplight you, you are the earth?
0: opposite of everybody else at rental cars that <laughs> i'm passing a guy in a rental c7 because he's a little frightened of it you're passing everyone in your rental nissan center oh, that, that works just for sure.
1: slides right in between buses and trucks and it's <laughs> narrow it's yeah it was great fun yeah. i was really happy to return it anyway
0: <laughs> <laughs> they weren't happy to get it back
1: a quick pause to talk about one of our sponsors Covercraft. If you have a car, you need to know about these guys. They produce car covers, seat covers, dash covers, sunscreens. These are fantastic for keeping your interior cool, keeping the sun out of your interior. You've made me a believer. It really is. And floor mats. They even have canine covers. They've got accessories even for power sports. A lot of stuff. Go to Covercraft.com and use the code DEBATE for free shipping in the U.S.
0: So learned. let's talk about how riding in. Uh, he's currently got an E46 uh, 330CI Coupe that he actually really, really likes. It's a 2006 BMW. But it's got about 130,000 miles, and it's just starting to be that car that, well, the miles have racked up and the cost is coming up with it. And so he loves this car. Yeah, yeah. But he's 6'2", 240. He's a big guy like we are. He apparently has this syndrome I have. I, I didn't know I had a syndrome. But anyway, he has the long torso. even worked proclivity into this email. Oh see yeah. That? Oh, yeah. He's, he's really He's with us for a while. Yeah, we, we have infected him in a terrible, <laughs> terrible way. So he really has a problem getting in a lot of these cars and finding that his head, his head touches. Yeah, yeah. So he's got he's he's climbed into lots of things. He's looking. Let's see. His budget here is a hard stop of thirty five grand.
1: Okay. He's told
0: Paul thirty five five doesn't even work. Like thirty five grand, and, and we're all so done. Okay. All said and done, he's been driving lots of things. Bravo on driving lots of stuff, and uh, he has taken off the list already: MX Five, NSX, S two thousand, and Mercedes Mercedes Benz SLS because he's gotten into them, and his head touches. So those cars are out. So he's looking for, he wants fun, small, chuckable like his E46, but he has to fit. And then he took the GT86 off the table, any 86 platform, because he thought it was very fun and he did fit. But coming even from the E46 that's not the M3, he's disappointed by the lack of power and the lack of refinement. So he's taken those cars out. This gets difficult quickly. It does. He's been pondering a few vehicles
1: here, and uh, gosh, yeah, just listing off the ones that don't work, all this stuff. Okay, so, hard stop at $35,000, and just like Charlie Ross, the British auctioneer for Gooding, if you go any time okay, yeah. to Pebble Beach or you see Gooding Auction, they're one of the best, he always says, are we all done?
0: <laughs> I guess
1: uh, $35,000. right, so he asks Todd and I two questions. The question for me is, Paul, why should I buy a 10-year-old 911 with the engine in the wrong place? Mm -hmm. Hal, you and I are going to have words about this. Instead of a 2- to 3-year-old M235i with half the mileage. And then he asked Todd, Todd, why should I buy the baby BMW instead of the lovely 911 or keep saving and get the Mustang GT with
0: magnetic ride? Yeah, because part of that refresh you and Chance talked about. Yeah. Is they're going to put that magnetic ride that was only on the GT 350 on the GT? Right. So that is, is Step down to yeah. the GT. Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know that that's really a step down. It's just accessible to more people as yeah, it should they're, be. They're,
0: they're broadening the the technology, which is great. The GT is on his. The Mustang GT is on his list because mm-hmm. he's taken mm-hmm. the Camaro off his list for visibility and headroom issues. And I agree with you, Hal. When I drive the Camaro at press days on a track, I pray that the track is smooth because <laughs> the only way for me because to drive it neck and is the that my, my, I literally C5 have my six vertebrae. Is that <laughs> it, seriously? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. The chiropractor will not be able to help, but there's right. a wreck. It's all bad because I actually have to drive with my head tilted toward one shoulder or canted forward because mm. I can't, I mean, and I'm not talking about, Oh, you should just put the seat back. No, I've tried. I'm out of room. This is Hal's problem, too. So the Camaro's out, but the GT, he he will fit in, the Mustang. So that is why that's on the table. Um, but he has been eyeing, yeah, the 997 911 or the M235 BMW. This is his top three. I like them.
1: Mm-hmm. I can
0: talk about those three, but I want to add one that he's kind of glossed over in his this-doesn't-work list, but I want to come back to it. Okay. Well, I like that because you can directly speak to the torso
1: syndrome, which is now a syndrome. Apparently, yeah, I, I can you take injections or pills for that it's frightening, or? isn't it? Yeah, what can you do? Start skydiving. <gasps> skydiving. Start, and start, the... start skydiving and landing hard. <laughs> and landing That's, hard. That, there you go. That's That'll terrible. solve it. Yeah. All right. So I'm off to answer the question, Hal. But first, I want to just briefly recap your car history here. Mm-hmm. And he sent us thumbnail photos. He left off all the appliance vehicles and the trucks and just put the notable ones in here. 62 yeah. Chevy Bel Air. 1972 Triumph TR6, Lotus Europa, Fiat X19. Yeah, I'm not sure how he fit in some of these. Tiny cars. I'm not sure how he fit in some of these. Peugeot 505, Nissan Sentra SER. He moves up into a little bit bigger. Well, he had a Taurus SHO. No Audis, apparently, and he's got this 05 BMW 325xi on the list. Man, so he's kind of moved up in size a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's how I'm going to answer the question, Hal. Okay. I see no Porsches on the list of cars you've Mm -hmm. owned and driven. I see that. I see that. And that is why. Engine in the wrong place? We can debate
0: this. (laughs) I'll see you out at the track. It's not a question of if the car is fast. (laughs) It's a question about fundamentals. (laughs) Our 50 years of 911 is a big debate about the fact that they keep moving the engine up. That's what I'm saying. They're trying to get past the fact that, by the way, we did it wrong. We know, but just stick with us. That's what I'm saying. I can break... Later into a corner. Of course, I can't get on the
1: power quite as early, but I can brake far later into a corner. That's where passing can get done. Not that you're going to be tracking the car. And you have that flat six license Uh, plate in your garage (laughs) because somebody crumpled it
0: by leading with their rear bumper in their (laughs) 911. Yeah.
1: Hal, I'm just going to go with the fact that you haven't experienced the 911, and this is a great time to buy in, especially with that $35,000 budget, which means you can get into an early 997 car mm-hmm. all yep. day long, no problem. And they're no great. Problem. They're fantastic. If you haven't driven that yet, I really do encourage you, because the dynamics, as Todd said, are so different. It might speak to you. You're going to be able to fit in that car I think it's going to be something enjoyable. And if you're not going to do it now, my question is when?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Because your list is long here of all these cars. No Porsches. True. None. yeah. And
0: you're an enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm.
1: I'm just putting it out there. You know, you're... Jabbing back a little bit here, yeah. so I still wonder saying. how he
0: fit in the Lotus Europa and the Fiat X19. I mean, those I, are those are yeah. tiny, tiny cars. Well, it
1: does have that Targa roof panel. Maybe you just kind of lost the panel and.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that's the, that's the, argument, uh, for the, right the, yeah, the ar- argument for the convertible. Right <laughs> above the A pillar, the argument for the convertible. You just take the top down and then look. I've got enough headroom. Granted, I'm staring <laughs> at the at the top of the windshield, but hey, you know, one thing at a time. Yeah, it's got to appeal to you, of course.
1: And mm-hmm. if you don't like it, and sure. you're still you know front engine, you know traditional setup. I definitely applaud these choices as well. Yeah. But it could speak to you. And, you know, Porsches. I mean, the, the driving experience is really up there. Mm-hmm. It really is. And, uh, yeah. I've just, I'm putting it out there.
0: I, I think, I think you're right. I think if he hasn't had a Porsche, that now is the time. I mean, how's talking about being, he a, a just turned 60. And he's looking for another really fun-to-drive car. He's yeah. liked a lot of German stuff. You're right. It's, it's kind of the glaring missing thing here is, is having a Porsche. A couple of things of what he mentioned here, though, that I want to touch on. He actually started looking at slightly larger cars, the Chevy SS and the, and the M5, the E39 M5. Right. I noticed that was kind that. of the size of the SS. And he actually drove it and realized it felt quite a bit bigger than his E46. He didn't like that. Yeah. I yeah. wonder about that about the Mustang. In terms of just sheer size? Is it going to feel big? compared compared, to the e46 i think it will i think it will feel big compared to the e46 i agree i think it's a good choice hal but i I actually wonder if you're going to get in that car and just feel like but but my e46 feels more chuckable and lighter and small so that really influenced me here i think the m235i probably is going to feel pretty close to your e46 in size in scale maybe more so than the mustang you'd have to probably drive them in proximity and, and just get a sense of how you feel uh, but the E46 is a special and surprisingly small-feeling chassis, so that is mm-hmm. a, that is difficult sure. to chase. I do like the 997 911. I think that's a good one. But there's a car you kind of glossed over in here that you said uh, you've always wanted a Cayman but can't fit.
1: Yeah, and he said Europa's and the Fiat X19 here. I know.
0: I both know. of which are the mid-engine configuration, light front ends. So here's my big statement to you, Hal. I, I think... Find your personal shortlist. Throw out for a second, and I say this as, as a tall guy with a torso problem. Find your personal shortlist, and it sounds like the Cayman is at the top, and dig into what are the tall man mods for those cars. Notably seat rail, modification, Absolutely. that kind because, of thing. You're thinking? Yeah, because one of the cars you said is out here is the NSX. Now, I watch our that. NSX comparison piece. We drove the, of the first generation, there were kind of two variants of the first generation of the NSX. Right. The one that we drove that was a very early car was driven by a former Air Force pilot who was six foot five. That's right. Significantly, like, noticeably taller and lankier than Paul and I. Yeah, that's right. And he had done, the other car was stock as far as seats were concerned, but he had taken his 95 and done tall man mods and reduced the seat, I think, an inch and a half- Right, right, and that seemed and it to work worked, for him. And it was great. It was yeah, great. You yeah. and I were both. I mean, we we were okay in the normal one. We were very comfortable in the revised one. Right. So there's the yeah. NSX. Now I think the NSX is a little out of his price point at thirty five grand. It's going to be hard to find a good NSX. Good ones. But yeah. it really struck me how here is a guy that when he got out of that car and unfolded himself, I thought, "How are you making that work?" And then I climbed in and went, "Tall man mods." Right. You did this. And really, you and I were really comfortable. Well. Yeah, we were great. Yeah. I know the Cayman has some. I know there are some seat rail variations. I I did a little bit of digging on your behalf. I know there are variations depending upon which versions of the seats you have the sport seats or the non sport seats. Sure, sure. You can find yourself between one and two inches in that car more than it comes with.
1: This is good news. So I'm glad you're intrigued about
0: the Cayman. I say look at the tall man mods for that car. If you can get in a Cayman and almost fit, my submission to you is. I bet you can once you do the Tall Man mods. If that's really the car you want because you've you've mentioned in here how much that's the car that you really want and then you throw it out for height. And I just went, "Wait, wait, wait. If that were that, if you're that close, dig, mm-hmm. find the Tall mm-hmm. Man mods." So my Cayman's going to be the first choice for you. Oh, I I love um, that. I'm the, all about that. The 911 yes will have more space. Plenty of tall guys drive those. If you could get into the 991 or the, even the updated Cayman, you wind up with even more room, but that's also more money. I don't think 35 is going to get that done.
1: No, I don't think so either. So
0: I, I, I say the, your answer here is tall man mods Yeah. more than it is chasing a car for your size because you're on the cusp of it working. And I think that extra inch in a car is going to get it done. I mean, certainly the front engine cars are going to do
1: that for you. But a 911 over a Cayman, I think you'll be able to put the seat back even just, further than just you got would a little in cabin. more space. They just got a little they're bit more space. Just the cabin is a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. and again, the driving experience, the lighter front end, as you've already noted by your car choices, your car ownership, that light front end, the road speaking to you, all those things, mm-hmm. I think, are going
0: to reveal themselves that you but love in the Porsche. How did he get in an Europa and an X 19 Nine? I still don't get that. I don't. Those know. clearly have got seating positions that I don't remember because those those <laughs> seem like magical space tiny tiny that, cars. Yeah. <laughs>
1: never previously found, yeah, packaging in those cars was something else. Well, uh, anything else in your list?
0: No, I, I really wanted to just kind of pursue okay. the tall man mod thing because okay. I haven't think about some of the guys that, that we've bumped into that are really big guys that drive Miatas. Sure, sure. And they drive Miatas because they've dug in and done the, what is it, the foam ectomy, and they've done the seat rail thing, and yep. suddenly you yep. can turn a Miata into a car that I didn't realize I could ride in there. Now, Hal, I'm going to put it out there. These cars are going to be tight really good sports cars. You're a big guy. It's going to be tight. As he knows. But sure. it's, it's just nice. about, I mean, the difference is my head is touching or it's not. If right. it's not touching, right. okay, so it's narrow in the hips, it's narrow in the leg room, but you can get in there and you can love it. You know, there's a lot of people who demand a
1: lot from their driving experience. I want to take a quick note to talk about our sponsor, Amsoil, who takes this approach to engineering their synthetic motor oil. Their signature series has a built-in reserve protection capable of protecting all Up to 25,000 miles between oil changes. Which is kind of insane. Go to amsoil.com slash driver and look up your own car to find the right product for you. Well, let's move on to Patrick's email here. We read you the question earlier on in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is the $10,000 budget to reach the 130 mile an hour club at Bonneville. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, again, Patrick is asking how much could he spend, 10 grand or less? to get to 130 miles an hour within the distance of one mile. Mm-hmm. And he names a couple of choices to start us off, get the juices yeah. flowing yeah, yeah. here. He starts off with a Mercedes S600, so that V12 in there. Audi S4 could do it. Or, and leaves it open for the discussion from there. Shortest sentence for the car debate I've ever seen, with the longest potential for the <laughs> one of the longer <laughs> car debates we could do here. Fascinating to me. I started thinking... I thought in my own history because, you know, looking through, say, um, you know, bring a trailer, bringatrailer.com, perusing sure. all the yeah, older yeah, yeah. vehicles on there, yeah, yeah, some that are, you know, nicer older vehicles, but nowhere near ten grand. They're still too expensive, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or you know, all my usual sites. I'm, I'm just digging hard, thinking, all right, what's out there, and then I came upon it, the Porsche nine twenty eight. Ooh, I like that. One you of the GT cars cheap that you can get very cheap. Yeah, you can still yeah, spend yeah. a lot of money on ones you that can. have been garage you queens can. and they've sat. Yeah. But yeah. even from the 1979, the first 928, those would do 130, no problem. Yeah, yeah. So get one that's yeah, eight to ten grand somewhere in there. Make sure mm. everything's running properly. I mean, mm-hmm. maintenance not mm-hmm. included in my book here. But what about a 928? That thing is built for high speeds. Yeah, yeah. Literally, the Audubon, it was a GT mm-hmm. car designed to be faster than taking the train. Yeah. That is the 928. Right. That was purpose. the
0: brief. That's its purpose. That's the a design great of that point. car. That's a great point.
1: So I'm looking at mid-80s. You could mm-hmm. go into the early 90s, but the, the cost of those cars are going to go up. I mean, mm-hmm. even at fifteen grand, that's out of your budget. So I also thought you brought up this V12 and the Mercedes S600. What about the BMW? 850i. Ooh. Cheap, yeah, cheap cars. Cheap, cheap. Yep. Because all the things that you and I generally talk about, maintenance and ownership and all that stuff, out the window. Doesn't matter. Doesn't Nothing matter. Nothing matters. It
0: needs to run once. It needs to do this
1: one time. It <laughs> yeah. needs to get to 130 miles yeah. an hour inside of one mile Done. and check that box. Yep. Yep. So maintenance, all this kind of stuff. Yep. Are you going to like it? Long term ownership? Who cares? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So, how about an 850i? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Change the oil before you do your runs, <laughs> and then <laughs> have at it, my friend. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. where I'm at with both those cars. Again, think of the architecture. Mm-hmm. Again, 80s. You know, big engine, long nose, mm-hmm. classic GT architecture,
0: designed for high speed. Okay, bet you, you can do it with All either of right. those cars. Okay, cool. That's I like that. I, my, my brain, my brain goes. One major place. I have. A, I, okay. I want to go wild card for a second, but my brain goes one major place, and that is you need a cheap V8. You need a cheap V8 across the board. Sure. Done. Sure. So I want to chase that rabbit trail in a minute. But I also thought what you could do if you wanted, because there's so much that can be done to these cars, chase yourself an old beat-down WRX because it's all-wheel drive, and you're talking about Bonneville. Okay. An old beat down one one that one that it it shouldn't be ten grand, but it is because it's so beat down. Okay. Well, those do hundred and thirty. Well, yeah. But in all of these cars, the key thing is to strip it out, take everything out you don't need. (laughs) Any of the cars and break it, just strip it down. How how light can you get it? But it's a WRX. Yeah. So they're Legos. There's tons of stuff that can be done to it. You can take your WRX and make it four hundred horsepower very quickly. True. And if you can strip the car down to be 2,500 pounds and 400 horsepower and all-wheel drive, all of these things will help you on Bonneville. And like Paul's saying, it kind of only has to do it a couple times, and you're out <laughs> and you're done. So I, I do think a, a beat-down WRX, which it's going to be beat down at 10 grand, that's a possibility. But the place my brain may, mainly went was front-engine, rear-wheel drive. That's kind of why WRX struck me because sure. I'm wondering about front-engine, rear-wheel sure. drive traction issues. But Uh, but uh, it just because Bonneville is a weird surface it is but yeah and that's why I see how you went S four and I could see that the merit in that if you could really crank that up but I thought about you know remember the old uh, Firebird Trans Am what are these the W S six.
1: Oh my god. Those gosh. guys from
0: the 90s. I just saw a
1: really nice one in LA. It was really nice. I'm going with the Where have you been? With the
0: big crazy intakes and the weird folded fenders and that kind of stuff. But that's a big old LS motor in there. That's a yeah. big old V8. Yeah. Okay? So that's an option. The Pontiac GTO that we talk about all the time.
1: We do talk about that car. Those are bang on 10 grand, too. Yeah. And, like and, an but 03. You could, but
0: you could get well. No, it's it's O four to 06 is Was those it? cars, and they and slight variation. They get a little more powerful as they go. But you could get an 04 for under ten grand. Strip it out, four hundred horsepower from the factory. Sure. Strip it out, sure. And I mean, done. Okay, I think the key thing to all of these, it, it, at least in my thinking, is get the big V eight, and figure out what you have to have in the car. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you can strip, you know, two five hundred pound two hundred five hundred pounds out of that car, it starts to make a big difference. If you can get, you know, four hundred horsepower or so out of the front, I think you've got a car that comes to play. I also wonder about an old beat down like C five Corvette. Yeah, I was thought I thought you were going to go know? Corvette route to begin with. So, so I, and I, I happen to be work. Yeah, I happened to be in the GM uh, lineup here, but I'm just thinking those old Firebirds. The old uh, the GTO from early two thousands, yeah. or a C five Corvette, doesn't matter what the interior looks like, doesn't matter what the exterior looks like. <laughs> the The engine needs to run. The drive line needs to work. Pull the seats. Pull the carpet. Just get it as light as you can. <laughs> and here I thought the
1: main point was screw on a turbo the size of your head. You
0: could, and that'll do it. You could but but we but we needed to keep that's the that's the problem with the WRX you can make it 400 horsepower but how reliable will it be not. big ls motor that's oh, just that's running and run yeah you just peel and that's the thing i thought about driving this avalanche around mm-hmm. big chevy v8 motor and it that was the best thing about the truck you know so i just thought okay get one of those big bomb-proof chevy v8s strip everything you can out make it as light as yeah, possible yeah lighten that thing up Uh, figure out, and I, and I don't have an answer for this. I truly don't figure out what you need to do for traction. I don't have an answer for you, but traction is going to be killer for what you're trying to do. Sure. Sure. And just embrace as light as you can with that big V eight and go. We're missing something. And I'm
1: wondering, do you tell your insurance agent this, or do you even need insurance on these runs? You don't need insurance. You just go.
0: You don't need insurance. (laughs) You bought it to get it destroyed by salt. (laughs) This is That's the reason true. it existed. It, it doesn't. It has to, as you said before, you trailer it out there. It has to do it once, twice, maybe. <laughs> That's
1: right. You know, although with the LS motor, you could drive it back and forth. To be honest, possibly it would probably but, do fine. But strip
0: it out first, and then you don't want to.
1: <laughs> well, awesome questions, guys. Uh, we've got a few more here from uh, all the social media accounts. Many, well, many, actually quite a few. And I'm just picking up my phone to dive right in here. 18 comments on Instagram so far. I know there's a ton on here. People are asking us tons of tons different of questions. Tons of uh,
0: All right. Andreas, I want to, to talk to your uh, question, or actually more like a comment, on, on Facebook. I want to speak to that really quickly. Thank you for writing in. You said you just saw what we refer to as Episode 8. It is our GLA Macan Grand Cherokee episode that was on Velocity. You just saw it, and you're thrilled with it and you're excited that if this is what our TV episodes look like, you're excited for more. I just wanted to say thank you for having that response to it. I I bring it up mainly because we have two episodes in this season that are what we intend going forward. And what I mean is our intention is to make large, well-shot, Well-made comparisons for TV, have them play on Velocity, and then take them to YouTube after the fact. Most of this first season was the other way around. We took old YouTube stuff and repurposed it. Two episodes of this season are this new stuff. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. one was that GLA Macan Jeep piece that will be on YouTube next week, actually. And then this coming Saturday, which is June 24th, if you're listening to this, it's the day after you're listening to this podcast. Right, right. That is our last week of season one. Alpha Julia Quadrifoglio versus BMW M3. I'm very proud of this episode. Yeah, it's me too. It's really, I can't wait. really fun. It sounds good. Great engine noises. We were on a great road. It's a fun comparison. That is a brand new piece of content. If you have Velocity, you're about to see the world premiere of that on Saturday, which is very cool. We'd love for you to watch and hear your. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And then that will also be on YouTube. Yeah. So this is our model going forward. We're excited about this idea. So Andreas, thank you for recognizing that and taking the time to just say you liked it. Appreciate Mm -hmm. it. I love that I've got people asking me design questions
1: here. It's it's a lot of fun. There's Yi Soon on Instagram. Asking what's the hardest, well easiest to get wrong part in designing a car's exterior styling? And he's asking for any examples of both good and bad design. It's uh well, there's a lot of different things, but think of everything you do as proportion on cars. Mm, sure. The yeah. body side to the window glass, so that proportion, uh, and the overhangs. Especially with wheel placement, where wheels and tires mm-hmm. go. And that is just, there's so many things to get right and wrong. Initial sketches are oddly proportioned. Sure. But you can pull out, as I've talked about before, you can pull out styling themes. But there's so many things, transitions, as you get, you know, refining the design. Because at the base of the A-pillar and the base of the, well, in, uh, you know, in sedans, it'd be the base of the Mm -hmm, mm C-pillar. But wherever it transitions into a, a trunk, sure there's... Five or six different surfaces trying to resolve themselves at a point. That They're meeting is there, fighting yeah. every other surface. And mm. so, how do you resolve all these interactions? That's the biggest thing you can get wrong. A lot of car manufacturers cover that up. They just. The A-pillar drops right into the car, and then they cover it up with some more sheet metal. Sure, yeah. You know, they kind of tricked your eye a little bit. There's all kinds of things manufacturers do, the Fisker Karma being one of the guiltiest, and Mm -hmm. that is the rear door cutout. When you open the door, that inner inside of the door, you know, Mm -hmm. that passenger egress entry is a lot smaller than the door would suggest. Yeah. And so the door suggests this proportion and large passenger entryway here. Which is not You're the right. case when you open the You're door.
0: Right. You open that door, and there's like a foot of sheet metal, yeah, just bridge to cross that is actually covering up that rear wheel. Yep,
1: yep. So that's a design trick. Mm-hmm. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of things. The Macan is pretty good at this. That uh, that lower rocker panel that could be blacked out or it could it's be carbon black. fiber. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's just a visual trick to reduce the body side height because it's interesting? a smaller car. All these little kinds of things, yeah. but I'd say I'd go with proportion
0: body side to glass mm, that's and, good. and overhangs, front and rear overhangs on the car. You're always teaching me that stuff. One of the ones you mentioned to me that people can look up and just marvel at, you're talking about uh, surfaces coming together. You mm-hmm. pointed this out to me the first time we saw it. Look at the current WRX around the tail light. OK, yeah, right. The taillight and the trunk. Look at the way all of those things go together. And, and when you stop and look at it, the taillight on the current WRX is one of the weirdest shapes in cars right now. Yeah, it's a It's a very strange. odd shape. And it's partially because of the way it connects to the trunk, which itself is a weird opening shape. And all of, like you're talking about, all the different body sides on that back corner coming together and having to kind of swoop and yet merge, and it resulted in some very strange shapes back there. It kind of works, just, but it's, it's, it's like this weird, wavy, non-shape back there. Yeah, just some
1: strange choices. And a bad example, I just saw whatever Buick it was. It was a brand-new Buick, and mm. I, I was sitting in traffic, and I looked over at the rear taillight. Okay. And I'm thinking, all those cut lines, the parting lines, are yeah, decisions yeah. made by people. Sure, yeah. And they got lazy because the trunk intersected the rear side of the tail light mm-hmm. and the the rear urethane bumper cap intersecting at a different area, and I thought, guys, you could have created this interesting shape and a you know, a cutout there, yeah. but you were just lazy. You just decided yeah, they just made it's it gonna be here and you know, we'll do the bumper cut line there and I'm just thinking, All right, well mm-hmm. it's a Buick. But but their
0: new It could be better. Yeah, but their new Regal uh, wagon coming out looks like it's gonna be awesome. So it's it it's interesting how it's not like car companies in general I feel like are guilty of this. You have cars no. that work working, cars that are you know, I actually no. saw a lot of Maximas when I was in LA recently. Really? And the current maxima I have to say on the road I actually think is great looking. I hate that it is what it is dynamically, CVT and and front wheel drive and all that. It doesn't look like it should be. We've talked before about uh, front wheel drive cars that look like they shouldn't be. Surprise! But that car is kind of cool looking in motion. It actually works kind of for me. Yep. All right, what else? Uh, Scott Schmidt wrote in about the difference between car enthusiast and driving enthusiast. Did you see this? I did. I asked him to expound on that. He emailed us he did. a little yeah, bit yeah. here. We know Scott. We've met him at, uh, at the Park City Car Club here. He he goes locally. And so thanks, Scott, for writing in. Interesting. As as I understand his breakdown, mm-hmm. it's a difference between somebody that loves cars and loves their current car. That's the car enthusiast. Versus the person that drives their car no matter what and isn't precious with it. They just want to drive. That's, mm-hmm. I feel like, his definition change, And he defines you and I as kind of both simultaneously, which I thought was interesting. And he bemoans the fact that he feels like he used to have uh, an S2000 that he yeah. loved. I'm looking at his email right and now. And he felt like that made him a driving enthusiast. He would drive that car in any weather all the time, drove it hard, wound it out, loved it. Just beat on it. Now he has a 911 he's in love with, but he's less prone to drive it because he wants to keep it nice. And now he feels like he's less of a driving enthusiast and more of a car enthusiast. This is an interesting definition from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I,
1: I Scott, thank you for writing, and thank you for expounding on your idea here. It comes down to so many thoughts. I mean, you, we see Ferrari owners. How many times do you see a really dirty Ferrari? Rock chips on the front, rock chips around the intakes, on the backs of the mirrors, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Not, Not often. very often, they sit in garages. Yeah. Yeah. And I I can understand that some folks the the car disease in all forms mm-hmm. from the stanced guys to lifted trucks to yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. loves between. cars and that is all valid. But we want to we want to drive. Yeah. Yeah. And I do have some of the car enthusiast in me because I love the shape, I love looking at it. Yeah. And I love cleaning it up, but I also love going and driving it. Mm-hmm. And I will say, Scott. Think of it this way. This actually ties into some other questions that we had on Instagram. Uh, I will get to those here, but it ties in with just you know getting out there, loving your car, driving yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. What if I couldn't drive it? Mm. What if mm. I? What if I died tomorrow? What if I couldn't mm. and something happened and I couldn't enjoy this thing? You're paying money for it, or you, you did are. pay money you for are. it. Absolutely, You're yeah. paying insuring you know insurance mm-hmm. costs on this car. Go Drive it when you can because looking yeah. back, you don't want to look back and think, Man, I wish I just would have enjoyed that more. Mm-hmm. And I will say, Scott, now that you have a Porsche, the Porsche guys tend to drive their cars, whereas the Ferrari guys generally more don't. so. Yes, generally more now so. I don't want to make a broad statement, it's always dangerous to make sweeping statements about any group of people, so that's not what I'm doing. But
0: mileage wise, you're right, you're gonna but see, but from a mileage standpoint, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, you know, Porsche is trying to get their cars away from being in an investment mm-hmm. and just sitting in your garage. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, owner's manuals say, Welcome to your Porsche. You should drive this every day. You should drive this car daily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the fluids like you know, they Mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. keeps everything lubricated. The car just drives better the harder and more you drive this Mm -hmm. car. And yeah, I I, like I said, I come back to Porsche because I love that they put in the owner's manual. We hope you're going to be driving this daily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. Reminder, reminder. And get away from this, you know, store it in your garage, garage queen kind of investment car. I hope that helps you. I I can't explain why some
0: people are just you know, they just love to look at it, but that's it's valid. But I mean, but here's here's the weird thing that happens with cars though, Scott. And that is the cars are one of those things that you can interact with, and yet some people treat them like they're art.
1: Which there is that part of me. But, and, I will and, admit, I and, love you that are, sculpture part,
0: of and I love that too. But, but I, you know, art's cool, art's wonderful. But if I were wildly rich tomorrow, it'd be a ways down the list before I started buying art, because ultimately, <laughs> as much as I respect like it and understand it, I can't, I can't do anything with it. I spent money on it, and I can claim I have it. For some people, mm-hmm. that works for cars. I think that's tragic because it's not the car's purpose. Right. I understand. Right. I, and look, the, the, the purpose of owning name your piece of art is to have it and to say you have it and to get to look at it. Yeah. And yeah. you and, and people have done that with cars. You've got the guys with the crazy garages that are clear garages that are part of their living room. I get it, kind of, because, yes, there is that artistic thing about cars, but its purpose is to be driven. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you're not driving it, you are – like you said, you're paying all the stuff for it to sit there in your garage and not be driven and to be garage art – Go drive it. Please go drive it. I have to feel like you're going to like it better. And if the only reason you bought your 911 or your S2000 or whatever is because you want to get money back out of it, I think you went in with the wrong approach. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Because I hate to say it, but the the, cars, the the car and the house are the two things in your life you're going to spend the most money on. They're exactly opposite investments. Mm-hmm. Your house is probably going up. Your car, don't care what it is, is probably going down. Yeah, that's true. So just it's dropping anyway. Drive it. (laughs) You know, a a final thought here on this question,
1: and that is a lot of car shows require cars to be driven as part of the show. And Pebble Beach Concours in Monterey, California, every year is a great example of that. The cars that go on the 17-mile drive if they are being judged against a car that did not participate in the drive, guess which car gets the award because, and and then when they go up to accept an award, Mm -hmm. it's required that the cars run and drive and be driven across the ramp because cars, they're designed to be beautiful in motion. Mm -hmm. I get the whole art part. And if you have a Bugatti type 35, that is a straight eight and doesn't really run that well all the time, you kind of take it out once in a while. Okay. It's a, cool car to look at yeah yeah but you know by this standard does that mean chiron owners should never drive those cars (laughs) they're beautiful in motion cars are beautiful in motion and that's their purpose you know yes we're not saying go drive it and beat on it you know like the the honda s2000 that you had where to where you're you know just don't care and you're abusing the car and that's not what we're saying, but I don't, but I don't even nice, think. But I know, don't even think Scott abused that car. He just no. used
0: it all the time, and I yeah. say, why not? I don't care what your car is. Go use it all the time. I mean, granted, I'm the guy driving the the rear wheel drive orange teenager's car mm-hmm. through the snow. Yes. So that happens, and I look at the front bumper every now and then and go, hmm, I have a rock chip there. It, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and in spite of that, the car is still for sale. But, uh, you know, that's 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 just the reality of owning it. It's just like, I, you know, it's going to happen, unfortunately. And, yeah, it, it makes me grit my teeth when I hear, you know, something hits the front bumper and I think, hmm, did that leave a mark? But at the same time, <laughs> probably, I'm back here enjoying a back road in the car that is designed to do that well. Uh, yeah, I could have stayed home today and not and not had that rock hit the hit the front bumper, but I wouldn't have enjoyed this car for its purpose at all. Yeah, I mean, Scott Durrell actually asked me if the car was still for sale and he's surprised nobody's uh, snatched it up yet. I've had a couple of conversations, a couple of people are circling it. I don't know if it will sell. I am trying, back to the last podcast with you and Chance, I'm trying to not get my brain ahead of myself. It's difficult. And figure out what <laughs> my next car is while I still have the FRS. And, you know, if for some reason it doesn't sell, I'll keep driving it because, you know what, I got back in it today and just thought, it's been over I a week. I really, really like this car. Yeah, that's it's cool. so much fun to drive, and it has no torque dip. Crazy thing to say, but it doesn't.
1: Auntie on uh, Facebook asks about our thoughts on the timeline when BMW M cars will be mostly electric. I'm not sure about this. I think the i series of cars will continue on yeah, and, and have a performance, yeah. you know, a performance enthusiast bent, and all electric out of those. I don't think that's really going to happen for a long time for like 10 years at least or more because of noise because of noise is so part of the driving experience for us. And you know, when you put your foot down, you don't just go faster. There's drama, around yeah, you yeah things sure. happen and noise is part of that yeah and rumbling through your chest and all that kind of stuff with powerful cars mm-hmm. so i don't know that m cars will go fully electric to be honest i think the i category for bmw will definitely be that yeah m cars might have some but there still might be one or two in there that are as i keep saying will build the fully autonomous eggs yeah, and this will be yeah. A, we'll split it up. You know, manual transmission, rear wheel drive, sure, fun car sure, with yeah. nothing on them. We'll just we'll leave all the traction control. It at will home. be
0: it will be interesting if we see automakers split like that. But you bring up a great point, you know, that because they already have that sub part of their lineup, mm-hmm. and it allows their normal cars. If you if you have the I on one side it's all electric, and the M on the other side it's all performance, it allows you to have cars in the middle that are a little bit of both. Right, right. You know, and then there's other That's people that have I'm written thinking. in about the fact that uh, Geely is going to make Polestar, which has been the performance brand of Volvo, into the electric brand of Volvo, which is an interesting twist right off this question. I you know, like
1: that. A few people, uh, Sean on Facebook here, a few people have written in about this Polestar question. Yeah,
0: but but it, the thing is, though, they're kind of, I mean, I'm surprised since Polestar has been the performance side of Volvo. I'm surprised to switch it away from performance, but I think it's interesting under Volvo to create, like BMW did with the I lineup, like you're saying, to create a subpart of the brand that is focused on electric technology. And then somebody also asked the question of, do we think they'll have their first car out before Tesla delivers all the Model 3s? probably. <laughs> (laughs) Not before the Model 3 is out, because it's about to be out. But before they deliver all of them, probably.
1: Yeah, agreed. I mean, the Polestar brand has been built up into a performance brand now. But as far as popularity among enthusiasts, I don't know that it has legs beyond what it is now. Fair. It actually is kind of a brilliant idea to rebrand it now Mm -hmm. with the way things are going in the car world. Sure, sure. Acknowledge everything now. And leap on it, and they already have an established brand. It's not like they came out with a brand new brand nobody's heard of, <clears throat> Saturn, and then kill it off. They've already got an established brand, Saturn, Scion, sub <laughs> brands that begin with S. Uh, there we go.
0: Um,
1: yeah, they've uh, they've got this brand. It's established. It's mm-hmm. performance electric generally needs performance. That's they how it's all being sold isn't together. It? Yeah, yeah. And they've got this established mm-hmm. mark and brand already going, and now rethink mm, interesting push that towards the future push that where things are going i, I think it's a brilliant move to be honest hmm.
0: Do you see uh duo rockwell's question on instagram he said we typically advised against the five thousand dollar car right so what's a realistic amount for enthusiasts to work with like what's the bottom five thousand and one clearly <laughs> well but i'm gonna i'm gonna say eight to ten yeah agree because agreed. at eight to ten I, i'm gonna Re- revisit this real quickly. the 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 headline is the problem with the five thousand dollar car is you may have to put half of that again into it in the first six months, and if you do, you didn't buy a five thousand dollar car. Right, just making it run so, correctly and fixing all the things that are broken. Exactly. and all that stuff, it, it tires, right. and who knows what right. it needs. That's right. the that's why the car is so cheap. Let's right. be honest; that's a lot of the problem with it. So, what my concern is always that the person buying a five thousand dollar car has literally five thousand dollars, and then the problem is when it needs tires day one when it needs oil change yeah. day two when it needs oh my gosh this needs a gasket where's that money come from so i really think because i bought cars and your car snow. won't run unless that happens hopefully yeah you use that's it. probably the case uh I, I really i bought cars between eight and ten and at eight to ten you can find stuff that you can buy and you can run for a bit i bought my sabaru at ten grand that's right you did you know and i didn't i didn't do anything to it for the first i think i had it for about three months and bought snow tires and then I had it for another three months or so and did – I forget what it was. I think it was uh, power steering uh, needed needed a leak fix, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which wasn't all that expensive. I mean, right away I got an oil change, which was, you know, less than a hundred Still, it's money but, instantly going out and maintenance. You know, but that was – you know, this this was the list in the first year. Yeah, You right. know, I think I spent less than – I, I did. I spent like uh, four – I think with snow tires, I spent maybe six hundred dollars on that car in the first year, and I bought it at ten grand. It's not bad. It's not okay. bad at all. All right, you know, and yeah. that, and that wasn't all right away either. So I think eight to ten grand, you can start finding stuff that is that you know will run, and is cheap enough that it isn't you know it isn't ground into the earth and needs a lot of stuff, but yet is cheap enough you can afford it. I feel like that's the sweet spot. Doesn't mean. I know there's many of you are right now hands poised over keyboard to tell me about your five thousand dollar car that ran for ten years with only an oil change. I know it exists. It's just not common. Right, right.
1: TLPR on Instagram. I apologize if I mispronounced your name. Uh, says that he's got a coworker that lost his Prius in an accident. I read this too. Yeah, he's getting another one. And the question here is, what is it about Pri? that everyone that gets one replaces their Prius with the newer Prius. Because he says it's like the dark side of the force here. He's mentioned tons of other options, but all this person can think about is hybrid cars. Nah, just Prius, 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 Prius.
0: I think there's <sighs> a simple answer here, but I'm curious what you're, what's rattling around <laughs> in your head.
1: I feel like it's um, it goes beyond just brand loyalty here. Mm-hmm. It really is uh, a belief, a belief in mm. they're doing a part. They're doing their part by driving this car and other cars just haven't measured up for whatever reason to the standards that they've built up for, you know, planet saving activities, whatever that means to possibly, you. possibly. Yeah, I don't know that it really has to do with gas mileage. I think that's a part of it, because if it are just getting better gas mileage to your point.
0: There's plenty of other options here. Yes, but here's the thing. See, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually going to disagree with you on this. I think it, it begins and ends at gas mileage. Because the thing about the Prius is every generation has gotten 5 to 10 miles per gallon better than the prior. And I think the current one, if you drive like a Prius driver, can get like 65 miles to the gallon. 55, 65 is, is yeah. the sweet spot of that car. Yeah. Nobody else can touch that. There are okay. those that can get 40s. There are those that can hit 50, but th- there's uh, yeah. there's two things going on here. They were the pioneer. Let, let me let me let me, go, let me let me go another way. Let me go another way with this for a second. The TDI, yeah, the whole TDI yeah. scandal. Why were they selling most of the time? It was because it was clean diesel, which now sounds hysterical for all of us to say. But it was clean diesel. I'm going to get great gas mileage and still have my great Volkswagen. And there was nothing to stay in the brand, so it's going to be awesome. Now, of course, it's got a dark stain on it, literally and figuratively. The Toyota has the reputation of just being reliable among just yes, people. It It's going to be reliable. So then – Toyota creates the first generation Prius and has a hit as the first people, I'm putting that in quotes, the first people to create a a successful hybrid car, but it was wildly successful, and then every generation they're improving it, mainly on gas mileage. I know in some people's minds there's the ecological thing, and that adds on to it, but I think it begins and ends with, okay, if I'm a Prius driver, I'm getting great gas mileage, you Mm -hmm. tell me another car that can get better gas mileage. Not pure electric, just straight-up gas mileage. Better gas mileage that has a better reputation and better reliability than my Prius. That's the end of the discussion. I'm going to buy another Prius. I don't agree with that because I think it's the only thing the car does well is get good gas mileage. Yes. Every other reason for it to exist is not. But my father, who is not an enthusiast, my father <laughs> has a relative who ha- who is on their fourth Prius. Okay. And Have they you met rec- this person? Uh huh. They recently visited <laughs> my parents. Okay. And by the time they left, my dad was seriously considering buying a Prius because You're here me. he is, a retired guy who, for some reason, I've watched him in the last four or five years, has become kind of obsessed with the gas mileage all his cars get. Now it's ironic considering the Avalanche gets eighteen on its best day downhill with a tailwind. Yeah, no kidding. But. He's kind of obsessed with the car that's not the Avalanche getting really good gas mileage. And this relative of his almost had him in a Prius. So I think that is a huge factor. It is a huge factor. I just feel like it goes farther for
1: Prius owners. In and some I've cases, ha- sure. In, in, yeah, I, I feel like, I mean, I've had people say to my face, I feel like the Prius is the best thing I can do for me to do my part. And the, I know what they're yeah, talking about. There are those. There are and those I disagree. That that yeah. But fine, if you feel that way, and then yes, the gas mileage is great. They feel like the car they're doing their part, and that means to help the environment, save the environment, whatever that means to them. Without looking at manufacturing processes, without looking at industry, all those kinds of things that aren't factored in that you sure. and I have talked about. Sure. Sure. I I just I, I feel like it's
0: that that exists with some it's people. It's such but... a
1: thing, and and this is the only car that really checks that box. And when you get emotional about a subject, those emotions are directly connected to MasterCard and Visa.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Those heartstrings absolutely. are directly connected, connected to, No question.
1: I feel like that's the best thing I can spend my money on to do this, you know, do my part mm-hmm. kind of thing. I, I'm i not there. I'm not sold on it. I just think it's a car that gets great gas mileage. Mm-hmm.
0: Which is exactly what it does. But So I, you're saving gas. But I submit to you that Prius is to hybrids what Tesla is to electrics.
1: I can see that they
0: have the vaulted spotless reputation as being the front runner with the best technology that's mm-hmm. figured it out the best mm-hmm. for every Tesla the Ch- Chevy bolt gets ignored absolutely Chevy Bolt's out there doing two hundred and forty miles on a charge, but we're not talking about At that least. half as much as we're not a third as much as we're talking about Tesla, yeah, because Tesla has the rep. the Prius has the same rep in the hybrid world. there's plenty of hybrids out there it does yeah. get in the fifties. Prius is out there leading the pack with technology, getting in the sixties in miles per gallon, and it's the front runner. And I think that's why you can't touch that discussion.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's uh it's a thing. I, I doubt you're gonna be able to convince your friend otherwise, despite all your great suggestions. But once you're in, I mean, do you want the iPhone? You just want the iPhone. There's it's, plenty of great Android phones it's, out there. It's drinking the Kool-Aid
0: for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, other questions before we uh, before we wrap up here. Uh, well, I mean, there's there's tons, but I wanted to mention this other one quickly. Christopher, you wrote in a very uh, kind of a landmine question, relationship question. They all are, aren't they? <laughs> uh, you're asking how do I introduce the misses to driving a manual? Ah, yes. In a way that will get her to enjoy it. Hmm. How do I how do I cover this tactfully, Christopher? <laughs> First off, you're gonna need a car that every time she stalls it. Not a big deal. <laughs> okay? Your <laughs> right. prize possession manual transmission car, wrong for this. The second thing, and I think this applies across so the why'd board. Why'd you I, rent me a car? I discovered this in skiing with my wife. I've seen it happen to others. If you have activities you want to teach your wife or significant other, you can't teach them. Don't do it. Get somebody mm. else. Find a friend, Christopher, that knows how to drive manual. As much as you want to teach your wife, please don't do it. <laughs> have your wife in a manual transmission car that is not your baby taught by someone else. It will save you a massive fight. I think it's spot on here. And then she can learn in an environment that is safe to get her past the initial three or four times she will stall, inevitably stall the car. I don't care who you are driving manual, tra- manual transmission, a stall is in your future. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. Just it allows her to have it. And then you get to be – here's the great thing about it. You get to just be cheerleader. Yeah, yeah. You get to just be proud of her that she got it. So then by the time she climbs in with you, she's already kind of gotten past the initial, I'm not sure how this works. Oh, I stalled the car. I'm embarrassed. Please don't yell at me. That's done. And now you can be there for her to help her with tiny refinements. Tiny refinements, you're the hero. Mm -hmm. The initial teaching is… If you're connected to her, I'm telling you, Christopher, it's 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 just it's, as Paul would say, it's a room full of rakes. Okay, it's all bad. <laughs> What's in here? So, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, I think find the manual transmission car that's not precious and have someone else teach her. Couple quick questions before we wrap things up. Shane M
1: on Facebook asks, where's the best place to mount a camera mm. to improve your driving? And just like the golf pros at your local course will film your swing, sure. I feel like a camera angle that you and I haven't used in quite a while, it's just over your shoulder Mm -hmm. where you can see the road, but you can see most all, if not all, of your body from your head to your feet. And you can see the interaction, but Mm -hmm. you can see your body tense and get ready for what's coming in the road. Yeah. So you, you've got the camera angle, so just kind of mounted to the window, just over your shoulder. You're almost
0: talking about mounting it uh, on the passenger side. Yes, on the passenger side. Kind of side. like the shoulder Correct. of the passenger side, yeah.
1: Correct. So you can see across. You might have to lay that passenger seat down a little bit, mm-hmm. just fold it down so you can I get can a see little that. bit better be- view of the camera. But Shane, you want to be able to see your entire body and what you do when you're coming in hot to a corner mm-hmm. or getting ready for whatever is coming in the road. Mm-hmm. So you can see, you know, part of the camera, the right half of the frame has the road going off in the, the way, distance. Yeah. And then the other left part of the frame has you, your body. You can see shifting your feet going, but yeah. if it's further back, you can kind of see that. Yeah. foreshortened position of your, sure. all the way to your
0: feet. I, I agree with you that it need you need to have both. I think you could do, and we do we do this shot quite a bit. You could do rear glass, or even you know, hovering between rear the glass path, works between the two uh, the two seats, because you have to see, like Paul's saying, you have to see your interaction with the car in relation to what's going on out the window. And I would even mm-hmm. say to you, if you wanted to really compare and contrast, see if you can get a shot like that mounted get you to do some laps, and get a hot shoe to do some laps. Because oh, yeah. now you can see idea. what's the difference in where did they break, how fast were they on the gas, what's happening to the hands. You can learn yeah. a lot from that. But as you start to learn, let's say it is a track situation. As you start to learn the track and the turn-in points, you can watch your own video back and be like, why did I turn in there? Mm-hmm. Why are my hands so busy? What, why did I – what? I
1: had so much room mm-hmm. before I, I could actually start yeah, breaking. Why, why
0: am I braking there? You can you can start to examine that, but but the problem is the bumper cam, which is very dynamic because it's so low and close to the ground and it shows a massive sense of speed, only shows you the track. You have right. no frame of right. reference. Right. The windshield cam is the same. You've got to be able to see both. I totally agree with you, Paul. Tyler asked a
1: quick question about the kiostonic design. If you haven't seen this, oh man. Kia and Hyundai are killing it. Yes. They're incorporating (laughs) stinger elements in the front. You're right, Tyler. You're seeing it. I'm getting everybody to start seeing more details on cars and articulating why they like a car. You
0: ruined me years ago, so (laughs) pass it on.
1: Well, guys, we've got the pilgrimage trip coming up. You are cordially invited. This is coming up in September, Labor Day 2017. Yeah. And too. Uh, <laughs> I was
0: looking at a calendar, looking at everything we've got on our list. It was like, oh, my gosh, there's there's the Germany trip. There it is rocketing at us. Yeah.
1: So, yes, if you're uh, so inclined, please go to everydaydrivercom slash adventures. More information on there about the trip. We'd love to have you. Please consider that.
0: And, man, you and I are starting to ramp up for filming season here. Crazy. Lots of filming happening. We've got, uh, as I said, our last episode of Season 1 of Velocity is tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Friday, it is tomorrow. We'd love to hear your thoughts on our Alpha Quadrifoglio versus the BMW M3. That's a very fun piece coming to YouTube soon, along with a lot of other YouTube-specific content while we shoot Season (laughs) 2 and try to plan a feature film and go to Germany and try to have some domestic trips. It's going to be a busy summer. Oh, yeah, and lemons. Don't forget that. Oh, yeah, we're going to do lemons, too. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Here it comes. Thanks, everybody.
1: Really appreciate it. Looking forward to the next time. Cheers.